You know, it's been said that if life gives you lemons, you should make lemonade. But it's also true that if life gives you melons, you should probably get checked out for dyslexia. On a more serious... Just got that one, right? Sweet. All right, so on a more serious note, uh, it's also been said that running away from your problems is a race you'll never win. Running away from your problems is a race you'll never win. The title of today's message here in 1 Samuel 27 is Running Away from the Problem. You know, whether it's in a relationship or, or whether it's at work or in parenting uh, or in some other area of our lives, all of us face difficulties and some of us face really serious adversity. And there can be times when the stress of those trials and the stress of those struggles can wear on you so much that rather than standing and facing them, you just want to run away. You just want to jump ship. You want to bail out. You want to throw in the towel and just, just get out of it, right? And, and all of us, I believe, have witnessed people who have done exactly that. They have run away from a very difficult situation. They've bailed out. Maybe it was on a marriage. Maybe it was on a family. Maybe it was on a job or some other thing. But we've seen people who have just run away. People who have bailed out. Maybe some of you here today, you've done that yourself at some point in your life. Or maybe you're in a situation right now where there is a temptation, a serious temptation in your life to just run away. You know, the struggles, the obstacles you face, they seem insurmountable. And you feel that you don't have the strength to continue on, to carry on any longer. And there's this feeling, this temptation, that it would be just easier if you could just jump ship and bail out and run away. Well, let me tell you, that's the exact situation that we see David in here in 1 Samuel 27. Uh, We have been studying for the last uh, several weeks and months the book of 1 Samuel here on Sunday mornings. We've been going through it verse by verse and chapter by chapter. There's something very wonderful about studying God's word in that way and letting him speak to us through every verse and every chapter. And we've called this series A Heart for God because that's really the the theme that is at the heart of this book. It's about having a heart for God. And recently we've been looking at this period in David's life, this extended period in which he's been going through this great difficulty. You see, for somewhere around 10 years, maybe even up to 15 years, David has been on the run from King Saul who is uh, trying to kill him. He's been living as a fugitive. He's been living as an exile. He's been running for his life. He's been living in caves in the wilderness because Saul is hunting him and trying to take his life. You know, Saul was the king of Israel, but, but the situation is that Saul turned his back on God. And as a result, God rejected Saul as king over Israel, and God chose a replacement. He chose David to replace Saul as king. David, this man who God said, he has a heart after my own heart. The thing was, though, Saul knew that God had rejected him. Saul knew that God had raised up David to take over for him, but Saul refused to give up his throne. Rather than submitting to the will of God, Saul determined to kill David in the hope that if he could kill David, then he could remain king of Israel. And so Saul employed the entire army of Israel and every resource that was at his disposal to try to hunt and kill David. But every time that Saul got close to killing David, God would deliver him from Saul's hand. David would get away. But here we are. It's been 10 years David's been on the run, you know, in that kind of extended trial. We, we see David now here after all these years of being on the run and, and trying to trust the Lord and walk by faith, and he's just simply tired. He's simply tired. Maybe you've 
felt that kind of way before yourself, where you've had an extended period of difficulty, an extended time of adversity, and after a while, you just get tired. You get tired of of fighting. You get tired of of pushing on and, and trying to walk forward and trying to trust, and you're just worn out, you know? And so here's David, he, he's, he says, you know what, I just, I can't do this any longer. And what we're going to see in this chapter is that David is going to try to run away from his problems. And in doing so, he is going to make some compromises. He's going to compromise things that he previously would never have been willing to do. But he's going to compromise. And now in this tired state, in this discouraged state, David's going to go places and he's going to do things that he would have never imagined doing before in his life maybe some of you have been in that place yourselves but but here's what we're going to see and this is that that running away from your problems is a race you'll never win running away from your problems that's a race you'll never win by running away from his problems rather than turning to the lord for the strength and the solution to those problems david as we'll see creates a mess he creates more problems bigger problems than what he had before And as we study this section, really the big takeaway for all of us, I want you to see, we're going to see how God wants to strengthen us and give us hope so that rather than just running away from our problems, we can actually thrive and have joy in the midst of any and all circumstances. So let's check it out here in chapter 27 of 1 Samuel, starting in verse 1. Notice these first words, they're the key to this whole chapter. Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. You know, the sad story of 1 Samuel chapter 27, it begins with something that David said in his heart. Oh, he never said it out loud. He never wrote it in any of his psalms. He never said it to anyone else. But he said it in his heart. And, and, and you see, there's an important principle here, and it's this. What we say in our hearts has a powerful effect on how we think, feel, and behave. What you say in your heart will have a powerful effect on how you think, on how you feel, and on how you behave. We see that principle here at work in David's life. And let me tell you, it's true of your life as well. If someone says, think about this with me, if someone says in their heart, God doesn't care about me, do you think that's going to affect their outlook on life? Absolutely, without a doubt. If someone says in their heart, I deserve better than this, do you think that's going to affect the way they approach life? Do you think that's going to affect the way that they think and the way that they feel and the way that they behave? Without a doubt. If someone says in their heart, I come before others. That will impact the way they think, the way they feel, the way they behave. And the the opposite is true. On the other side of the coin is equally true. If someone says in their heart, God loves me and I don't have to earn his love. Do you think that's going to make a difference in their life? Do you think that's going to change the way that they think? Do you think that's going to change their approach to life? Absolutely. Absolutely. If someone says in their heart, I will be grateful for every blessing I have, let me tell you, that will change their outlook. If someone says in their heart, others come first, that is going to make a tremendous difference for good in their life. You see, what we say in our hearts has a tremendous impact for good 
or for evil, for blessing or for cursing in our lives. That inner talk, right? That inner talk that we all have. The, the things that we say to ourselves in our hearts, like David did here. It's one of the greatest battlegrounds for what we might call spiritual warfare. You know, Satan was called, Jesus, he referred to Satan as the father of lies. That's his MO. That's what he does. That's what he specializes in. In getting us to believe lies that contradict God's truth and God's word to us. Lies which lead us away from God rather than the truth that brings us to God. Lies which leave us isolated rather than in communion with God. You know, we see this at work in David's life. Look at what David said in his heart. He said, one of these days, Saul's going to get me. One of these days, Saul, Saul's going to catch up to me. I can't, God's not going to save me forever. One of these days, Saul's going to get to me and he's going to kill me. You know, when you see this, you want to you just say, David, wait a second, man. Wait a second. What are you talking about, David? Haven't you seen how God delivered you time and time again? David, don't you remember when the spies or, or when the assassins were at your doorstep and God delivered you? Don't you remember, David, when they, they were coming around, the, you were hiding behind that mountain, they were coming around on both sides and God delivered you at the last moment miraculously. David, what are you saying, man? How can you say that it, it God can't save you forever. Don't you remember the deliverance he's already given you? Don't you remember the promise of God, David? That he's, you're going to be king one day? That means that Saul's not going to kill you because you're going to be king one day. But see, David has endured this trial for so long now. He's, he's done well up until now, but he's so tired. He's worn out. That extended trial has just worn him down. And, and when you're worn out, you're vulnerable. You're way more vulnerable to lies, to attacks. You know, when we were in Hungary, uh, you know, one of the guys on the team, he shared with me this acronym that he had learned, and it was the acronym of HIT, right? H-I-T, and it stands for Hungry, Isolated, and Tired. So Hungry, Isolated, and Tired, that's a HIT. Those, that's the kind of time when Satan likes to put a HIT on you. That's when you're vulnerable to the attack of Satan, vulnerable, susceptible to believing lies when you're hungry when you're isolated or when you're tired and that was something that we kept in mind during our trip uh, somewhat because you know I, I guess you know when I'm doing ministry when I'm doing a lot of stuff I don't really eat anything so they kept telling me Nick hungry isolated tired you know we got at least two of those we got to eat and he kept telling me if you love me feed my sheep so so we made a point of eating which is, I kind of thought was a waste of time but but apparently it's a good thing because when you're hungry, isolated, or tired, those are times when you're vulnerable to believing the lies, when you're, when you're susceptible to the attacks of the enemy. And so here's David. We see that he's worn out. Ten years of being on the run, ten years of trying to trust God in the midst of difficulty and trials. He's struggling now with discouragement. And he's not considering God's past deliverance. He's having a hard time in the moment trusting in God's promises. And he says to himself in his heart, one of these days, Saul's going to get me. One of these days, God is not going to save me. He's going to get me. I'm going to die. And the next thing he says in his heart is, there's nothing better for me than to run away from this problem and defect 
to the Philistines. The Philistines! The Philistines, the same Philistines who want to destroy Israel, the same Philistines who mock God, which at one time so enraged David that he went toe-to-toe with the giant Goliath. And now he's telling himself, he's believing the lie that God cannot protect him and that his best option is to compromise his faith, compromise his ethics, and to ally himself with the Philistines. You know, pop music is one of the best sources of bad advice in the world. Like, if you're looking for some bad advice, you don't got to go any further than pop music, man. And one of the worst advices, one of the worst pieces of advice ever sung about in a pop song is listen to your heart, right? You know that song, listen to your heart. And a lot of people give that advice. It's a very well-worn platitude, right? Hey, you're not sure what to do. You have a quandary about a major life decision. Listen to your heart, right? Just do whatever your heart tells you to do. Let me tell you what, that is terrible advice. That's like the worst advice you could give somebody. Basically what it's saying is this. You should really let your actions be determined by whatever arbitrary emotions are filling your heart at that given moment rather than listening to sound advice or the objective word of God. You know, the Bible would say this. Don't listen to your heart, please. Don't listen to your heart. Listen to God. Don't listen to your heart, listen to God, right? Listening to your heart, that's a bad idea, right? The prophet Jeremiah had this to say about the heart. He said that the heart is deceitful. Above all things, it's desperately sick. Who can know it, right? It's deceitful. Your heart can lie to you. It can believe lies. It can be deceived. You you shouldn't make decisions based on whatever emotions are filling your heart, so to say, at that given moment. I mean, look at David. That's exactly what he's doing. He's listening to his heart rather than listening to God's word to him. He's listening to his heart rather than listening to God's promise to him. And and right now, what's his heart saying? His heart's saying, God can't take care of you. You you should just compromise and run away, right? His heart is full of fear. His heart's full of discouragement. His heart's telling him something that's the opposite of what God is telling him. And David is making a great mistake. And that is this, that he chooses to listen to his heart rather than listening to God's word to him. Friends, let me tell you this. Rather than listening to our hearts, we need to speak to our hearts. Rather than listening to our hearts, we need to speak to our hearts. You know, this is actually something that David himself did many times in his life. We see it in the Psalms. He would speak to his own heart. When his heart was saying something that was not right, he would speak to his heart, and he would speak words of correction, and he'd speak words of encouragement to his own heart. In Psalm 42, he says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For again, I will praise him, for he is my salvation and my God. He's speaking to his heart words of correction and encouragement. In Psalm 43, David speaks to his heart again. He says, Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of my enemies? I will go to the altar of my God with exceeding joy and praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. I will hope in you, God, for you are my light and my salvation. Throughout the Psalms, David speaks to his heart. He rebukes himself. He he corrects himself when his heart is not in a good place. And that is what we all need to do. Rather than listening to our hearts and being swayed by whatever feelings or thoughts are, are overwhelming us at the moment, we need to check our hearts against the standard of God's word. 
Because rather than being driven by our emotions, we want to be led by the Holy Spirit, right? Rather than being driven by our emotions, we want to be led by the Holy Spirit. We need that objective standard that doesn't change based on how we feel at any particular moment. And that, because, you know, that way I may feel like there's no hope. I may feel like God has forsaken me or maybe that God can't forgive me. And that the best thing to do would be to compromise and run off with the Philistines. But there is this objective standard that we have. The word of God and the spirit of God that would say, no. No matter how you feel, here's what's true. Here's what's right. Here's the truth of the matter. And it's true whether you feel it or not. You know, that's so good. I don't know about you, but that gives me so much comfort to know that I have this objective standard. Because we don't want to be driven by emotions that flood us at any given moment. We want to be led by the Spirit of God. And, and, you know, if we're led by our emotions, what we see, like with David, it's going to lead to all kinds of chaos. And that's precisely what happens here in David's life. Let's continue from verse 2. So David arose and went, and he and 600 men who were with him, to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. And David lived in, with Achish at Gath. And he and his men, every man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, Nabal's widow. And when it was told David that, or when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. You know, David's decision to go and live with the Philistines, it's a decision that doesn't just affect him. We see here that it affects all those who are under his leadership. It says that with David there were 600 men, but we also read here that those men had wives and they had children. You know, David himself had wives and children, so we're actually talking about quite a lot of people, 1,500, 2,000 people, maybe more, who are directly affected by David's decision to run away from the problem and go live with the Philistines. You see, this isn't just that David had a bad day and made a bad decision, and oops, right? But David's decision affected not only him, it affected everybody who was under his leadership. And if you're a parent, if you're a boss, if you're a leader of some kind, you need to take note of this. This is true of you as well. The decisions that you make, they don't just affect you, they have direct implications on those whom you have been given leadership over. And what I think is surprising about this text and, and important is this that if you look at the text what you see is that David he makes this decision to run away to the Philistines when he does that he's not thinking about all these other people he is only thinking about himself notice that he says one of these days Saul's gonna kill me right and then he says there's nothing better for who for me there's nothing better for me than to run off and live with the Philistines See, David's thinking about what's good for him. He's not thinking about the 2,000 other people who are, going to be who are going to be affected by this decision that he makes. He's only thinking of himself. And parents, leaders, let me tell you this. You can't only think of yourself when you make decisions. You've got to consider how those decisions will affect those who are connected to you. But think about this also. You know, what would have been the best decision for all of these people like what would have been the best decision for the for the well-being of the people who are attached to David now someone might look at this and say well maybe this was the best decision for everybody because with the Philistines they clearly have security and that's good right 
But the question is this. Okay, yeah, they've got security. But at what price? At what price? We're going to see as we go on in this chapter that there's a price for this security. And the price is that if they want to have security amongst the Philistines, they have to seriously compromise their ethics. They have to seriously compromise. And I believe it really basically boils down to this. This is a choice between living by faith at the cost of facing hardship or having comfort and security at the cost of compromising what you believe. I'm going to say that again because this is important. And this is something that affects all of us. We, we are faced with these kind of quandaries sometimes. Here they're faced with a choice. A choice between living by faith at the cost of facing constant hardship or having comfort and security at the cost of compromising what they believe. You know, this past week as we were in Hungary, I, I took it upon myself to share with the team a lot of missionary stories, stories of times when I was there, stories of people that I've known and been connected with, stories of people who've stepped out in faith. Like Tim said, people who, you know, they had very little to bring to Jesus, like the boy who brought, you know, just his lunch to Jesus, and God took that and multiplied it. And I told him the stories of people I've known and how I've seen God work through, through people to do a great work. And one of the recurring themes of these missionary stories I was sharing with them is that you know what? There are more important things in life than simply being comfortable and secure. I think that's something that Americans tend to, tend to miss a little bit. We, we tend to really make an idol, if I might say, out of comfort and security, but especially security. And, and you know, the recurring thing being that there, there are more important things in life than comfort and security. As parents, I think we can be so worried about providing comfort and security and opportunities for our children but what we need to remember, and that's all good, right? But what we need to remember is that one of the most valuable gifts that we can give our children is to live our lives in a way that teaches them what's really important. You know, I was telling the team about this one particular family I know, uh, and I have great respect for them, the Markey family. Now, George Markey moved from rural Indiana to Kiev, Ukraine in 1992, just a couple months after the fall of the Soviet Union because he had a burden to share the love of God with these people who had been without the freedom to hear the gospel for so many years. And George Markey packed up his six children, uh, ages 14 to one year old, and eventually by the time they were done having kids, they had eight kids. And they moved from a large farmhouse in rural Indiana to a cramped two-bedroom apartment, you know, one of those block project looking buildings that doesn't even have like you know basic uh, utilities and stuff like that in downtown Kiev and by leaving the U.S. and going to Ukraine especially at that time I mean you think about how hard things are in Ukraine now they were even harder then and and he he uh, he moved at a time of great turmoil a time of great difficulty in that part of the world and to do so his family had to sacrifice a lot and think about those children they had to give up a lot they gave up comfort, they gave up security, and they gave up a whole lot of opportunities by moving halfway across the world. And someone might say, well, how could you do that to those children? I mean, it's one thing if you want to go live in Kiev, but it's a whole other thing if you want to drag eight children along with you and subject them to that and take away their opportunities, take away their comfort and their security. But what the Marquis gave their children was something that money could not buy. They gave them the opportunity to see their parents 
living out their faith, their parents walking with God by faith, dependent on God. Really just step by step being led by God and trusting in God. And you know what? That doesn't have to happen in Ukraine. It doesn't have to happen far, far away. That's just where God had them. But I tell you what, God wants the same for you. One of the greatest services you can give your children, one of the greatest services you can give to those who you have an influence in their lives is to show them with your life an example of what it looks like to seek first the kingdom of God and walk with God by faith and what it really looks like to sacrifice for what you believe in and what it really looks like to take up your cross and follow Jesus Christ. You know, no matter what, Whatever you do with your actions, it will speak volumes to those around you about what your values truly are. You know that? No matter what you do, it's going to speak volumes about what your values are. And I would challenge you to ask yourself this as you're sitting here today. What is it that the way that you live your life communicates about what is truly of value to you? What is it about the way that you live your life that communicates what your values are? how you spend your time, how you spend your money, what does it communicate about what is valuable and what's important to you? I think that David, at this point in his life, he did a great disservice, unfortunately, to those who were under his leadership because of what he communicated to them through his actions about his values. Let's continue on in verse 5. Then David said to Achish, If I have found favor in your eyes... What a sad statement that is. We'll talk about that in a second. Let a place be given to me in the country, in one of the country towns, that I may dwell there. For, you, for why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So that day Achish gave him Ziklag, therefore Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. And the number of the days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. Notice this, uh, it should be a shocking statement here at the beginning of verse 5. David says to Achish, the king of the Philistines, he says, If I have found favor in your eyes. Who is saying this? Don't forget who's saying this. This is David. This is David who who just a few years ago stood toe-to-toe with Goliath and a whole army of Philistines. Why? Because they mocked God and they defied God. The David of a few years ago He was not interested in finding favor in the eyes of the Philistines. The David of a few years ago, he he wasn't interested in finding favor in, in the eyes of people who mock God and who defy God. The David of a few years ago had bold faith in God. He had bold faith in God's promises. He was willing to step out and see what God might do. The David of a few years ago, if he could speak now with the David of today, well, he'd have a few words for him, that's for sure. And I wonder about you. I wonder if there's any of you who, if the you of a few years ago could speak to the you of today, what would you say? What would the you of a few years ago have to say to the you of today? Now maybe there are some of you right now who you are at the strongest, closest place with God that you've ever been in your life. But maybe there are some of you who that's not the case. Maybe you're more like David here in chapter 27. Uh, A few years ago, you were really in a much better place with the Lord. You were spending time in the Word. You were seeking the Lord. You were encouraging others. What would the you of a few years ago have to say to the you of today? You know, Charles Spurgeon was an author and a pastor in London in the 1800s. And he once wrote about a time when he was completely depressed, very discouraged. He felt that everything was against him. He was just, you know, 
bitter of soul, you could say. And during that time, he writes that a friend of his came to him and told him, Charles, I found something, uh, some writings that I thought would be good for you to hear. It's about dealing with the issues of faith in times of discouragement. And so the man began reading this document to Charles Spurgeon. And as, as Spurgeon heard it, he said, wow, this is just great. Like, this is speaking to my heart. And as the man continued to read, uh, Spurgeon quickly realized that the man was reading to him one of his own sermons that he had preached only a few years earlier. And, and the friend was kind enough that he, he didn't say, see, Charles, you preached this. Why don't you believe it? Why don't you do it? Why don't you live it? But the man didn't have to. You see, Charles Spurgeon, he was convicted by his own words. Discouragement has warped David's thinking. If David could see himself from the outside right now, if he could step outside of himself, if he could only see himself now in relation to where he was just a few years earlier when he was stepping out in faith and fighting Goliath, I think he'd have a few words for himself. Jesus told the church in Ephesus in the book of Revelation, he said this, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, and repent, and do the works that you did at first. Maybe there are some of you here today who that is God's word for you this morning. Remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the works that you did at first. Let's finish up the chapter in verse 8. Now David and his men went up and they made raids against the Geshurites and the Girazites and the Amalekites for these were the inhabitants of the land of from of old as far as Shur to the land of Egypt. And David would strike the land and leave neither man nor woman alive. But he would take the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the garments, and he would come back to Achish. And when Achish asked, where have you made a raid today? David would say, against the Negeb of Judah, or against the Negeb of the Jehiramalites, and against the Negeb of the Kenites. And David would leave neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, thinking, lest they should tell about us and say, so David has done. Such was his custom all the while he lived in the country of the Philistines. And Achish trusted David, thinking he has made himself an utter stench to his people Israel. Therefore, he shall always be my servant. Here's the dark side of David's time with the Philistines. Yes, he got security from Saul. But at what price? In order to convince Achish that Achish could trust him David and his men have taken to plundering and killing villages of the minority nations in the region and they would tell Achish that they were actually attacking Israelite villages so they're lying to Achish kind of telling him that they've been attacking the Israelites David and his 600 men these are men who not long before this they were heroes they, they protected people they helped people and now they have become raiders and marauders who plunder and kill and why? So that Achish will give them security. This is the price. This is the cost of their security. David tried to run away from his problems, but what he found is that running away from your problems is a race you'll never win. He's only created more problems and a bigger mess. And it continues. We're going to just read the first two verses of 28. In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, Understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. And David said to Achish, Very well, you know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, Very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. Here's David called to be king of Israel. And he just agreed to take his men 
and kill his own people. He just agreed to become Achish, the king of the Philistines' bodyguard. David thought he could run away from his problems, but what he's found is that running away from your problems is a race you'll never win. David has created a web of lies, and now he's trapped himself in it. He's forced to live the lie that he's been feeding to Achish. And now David's agreeing to fight and kill the very people whom God has called him to be king over. How can David be king of Israel if he fights on the side of the Philistines and kills his own people in battle? Basically, whether David realizes it or not at the moment, he is about to sacrifice. He's about to give up his calling and his destiny. Why? For security. You you know, you can't help but sympathize with David at this point. I mean, after years of going through this prolonged trial with no sight and end, David's obviously discouraged. He's tired. And he says, I give up. I throw in the towel. I can't take it anymore. The stress of trusting God and walking by faith in the midst of this difficulty, it's more than I can bear. I just need some relief. And those feelings are understandable. Many of us have had similar feelings in our lives, but yet we have to say David's decision is completely wrong and it's very destructive. So the question is, what are we to do when we find ourselves overwhelmed by some difficulty or struggling with the urge to give up the good fight of faith, and just give in to temptation. Well, we've seen a a number of important responses to those feelings here in this text. Let me remind you of them. First of all, number one, we need to speak to our hearts. Rather than listening to our hearts, we need to speak to our hearts words of truth about who God is and what God has declared to be true. Because what we say in our hearts has a powerful effect on how we think, how we feel, and how we behave. Secondly, we need to remember where we've been. We need to remember where we've been. We need to remember where we've come from, what God has done in our lives in the past, from where he's brought us, where we have backslidden from. And if that's the case that we've backslidden, we need to return to doing the things that we did at first. And thirdly, we need to count. We need to count. We need to count the cost. Is it worth it, David? To give in to temptation? Is it worth all that you will lose? How about you? Let me ask you, if you are struggling with some kind of temptation, is it worth it? All the things that you will lose as a result, if you, if you go there, is it worth it? I guarantee it's not, but you got to think that through when you're faced with temptation. you got to think through the cost. And there's one more thing that we must do, and I'll finish with this. It's not found in this chapter, but it's absolutely essential. In the letter to the Hebrews, we're told this. It says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us and how fixing our eyes on Jesus fixing our eyes on Jesus the son of David the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God David was a man after God's own heart he was a man who was used greatly by God, but he was also an imperfect man. He was a man who stumbled and fell at times. He was a man who at times ran away from his problems and gave up rather than trusting God. But the son of, a son of David, Jesus Christ, he never failed. He never disappointed. He never stumbled. And that man, Jesus Christ, he is the one who we need to fix our eyes upon as we move forward. And here's why. Because he alone, and I love this verse from, from Jude, says this he alone is the one who has the power to keep you from stumbling 
and to make you to stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy. Amen? Let's fix our eyes on him. Let's stand and pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the one who has the ability to make us stand, to keep us from stumbling and to present us blameless before him with great joy. Thank you for that, Lord. And we do pray this morning, Lord, would you fill us with your spirit? Would you fill us with joy that we might have joy in walking with you and proclaiming your name? And Lord, may we be people who are on mission with you. Lord, may we see and understand that missions isn't something that has to happen far away, Lord. The whole world is your mission field. It's the, it's the field, Lord, that you purchased with your life in order to gain the treasure within it, Lord. And thank you so much for the treasure who you are. Lord, may we, may we be those who also sell all that we have in order to take hold of you, who, who are willing to give everything to gain you. Lord, may you work in us and through us in this coming week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.